0: Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert Night has fallen on the desert And the nighttime is the only time worth talking about this time of year I walked out to pay reverence to the moon, when it was still enormous last week. I stroll around a little bit, head up the road to lock the gate for the night. You might not describe the weather as delightful, but it was bearable. I mean the breeze is hot on nights like this. So eventually, I head back inside, and I guess that's how I brought this big scorpion into the house, stuck to the bottom of my ratty old take-out-the-garbage shoes, you know, the ones you leave by the front door. And it must have come loose in the hallway, that's when I noticed on the way back. This poor scorpion, maybe three inches long, sort of smushed on the Spanish tile. But As always, even when it's not really the sort of all creatures, great and small wildlife that belongs in the house... I mourned its death for a moment. I thought it was dead. And then I figured I'd sweep it outside on the way back. Just gonna grab the broom. As I'm getting the broom, that's when I wonder exactly how it got there. Well, guess what? There's a scorpion-sized damp blotch on the sole of one of my shoes, the right shoe, if you're wondering. I feel terrible for stepping on the poor thing when it was just doing its work out on the sands, but also relieved that I was wearing shoes at all, because otherwise I would be feeling pretty bad myself those things never get easier it turns out they're always something you'd prefer never happened they're like a real bad hangover in one spot so I'm only gone for a minute but when I return to the hall the dead scorpion is gone Well, it doesn't take long to find out where it went, which is the floor of the bathroom off the hall, I figure I better finish it off, because otherwise I might get myself a stinger full after all. So I smack it with the flat part of the dustpan, and now it's not going anywhere until I sweep it towards the dustpan and it coils up and springs away. It takes another good couple of wax before I feel any confidence that it's not going to jump down my shirt somehow. Using some law of physics I do not understand. But even then, the stinger is up. The tail maintaining that elegant ominous curve now before you report me to the Mojave Desert Land Trust or whatever I want to make clear that I'd already crushed it by accident and found it motionless and flattened in the hallway its vital fluids were already dried up on the bottom of my shoe and yet it went to the next room A good 10 feet away. And yes, thank God, it was the same scorpion. It was still flattened and not moving at all, that I could tell it was not healthy. It could not be rehomed. I could not advertise it on PetFinder.com. If I'd had any idea it still had walking and stinging left in its quiver, I would have just swept it outside. Godspeed, brother. Sorry about putting my full weight onto you and then taking another 50 or 60 steps with you stuck to the bottom of my shoe until you fell off. I mean, I know scorpions are well-designed creatures, but good lord, this was the Gwen Close of scorpions. The night is when we are free. Humans really don't wake up until about sundown. That's a true fact. 7 to 9 p.m., that's when your brain is at its best and in harmony with the rest of you. No wonder we're all so miserable dragging ourselves through the daytime driving through the Union Buster coffee chain six times a day until we're once again wondering why public toilets don't exist in this country. But at night, if you have the night to yourself or share it with people who make life better and not worse, well, it's hard to say goodbye to the night. It's quiet, if you let it be. The sacred night, the holy night, and it points to a quieter time on the way here on planet Earth. The human population is slowing down so fast that all the governments and entertainment companies of the world are in a total panic. A quieter world is coming. A lot less of us, more birds and animals. Maybe more wall-y solar robots collecting the plastic in the oceans, eating the invasive weeds in the wilderness, organizing the DVDs they dig up by genre and date of release. Be of good cheer. And maybe the night owls humankind, I mean, are pointing to this future. Here's something I got off the internet, maybe it's even true. Being a night owl is a sign of higher intelligence, even genius. Tell that to your red-faced boss who's waiting for you at 7 a.m. and got up at 5 to go to the gym and watch cable news while angrily lifting things for no reason. The more creative and intelligent you are science says the more likely you are to prefer the late night hours the solitude and quiet the more intelligent you are the more the ravings and jabberings and bad vibes of other people get to you which might be why you prefer time alone as much as possible It's like a psychic getting on a subway train at rush hour. You're just overwhelmed. But it might be an evolutionary change for the better. There have been studies, surveys, MRIs, and the consensus appears to be that night owls don't have as much stress don't have as much bad energy banging around the skull. And the deviation from the human norm of getting up early is associated with higher IQ, whatever that is. Regular people hit their mental peak around 9 in the morning, but the night owl hits that peak around 9 p.m. when we're naturally more awake. And we generally have clarity and energy until we finally retire at whatever late hour. Early birds are usually angry, as you may have noticed. It's the stress. They suffer from more headaches, body aches, illnesses, more cortisol going around. And at the end of their long dreary day, their cognitive abilities have collapsed and they are utterly exhausted, which I guess is why so many people watch TV at night. Maybe that's why those TV shows with all the decapitations and torture and gore are so popular, maybe that sort of blunt force, violence, and screaming is the only stuff that gets through the thick mental fog of the exhausted modern human. But for you... The lucky night owl. At 9 or 10 p.m., your central nervous system and spinal cord excitability are at peak levels. Excellent conditions for imagination, for breakthroughs, for inventions and purpose, for reading comprehension, for clarity, for walking in the moonlight. Since the pandemic, There's less life at night. That's true wherever I've been in America these past couple of years. Restaurants and bars close earlier. All night diners are done at 11 if they survive the lockdowns at all. Casinos keep that air conditioning blasting for a dwindling handful of zombies. 24-hour grocery stores and superstores and all those sickly, fluorescent-lit retail warehouses have mostly returned to the business hours of decades past. Because there are not enough customers, not enough people out. And people are scared, too. Scared of violence. Violence. Not so much from mysterious criminals in the shadows, but from each other. Looking at your phone while furtively watching your surroundings has become the primary public behavior for most Americans. You don't want to draw anybody's attention because the population is unhinged. Unhinged and desperate for human contact, even if it's yelling at a stranger about some illiterate nonsense on Facebook. Lay low. If somebody's screaming at the loan checkout clerk about something on the news, well, maybe you really don't need eggs and milk and toothpaste for tomorrow morning, anyway. What a time to still be alive. There was an explosion and fire at the Hoover Dam on Tuesday morning. A tourist got the video and posted it on Twitter. A scene foretold in the opening of Edward Abbey's novel, The Monkey Wrench Gang. Not exactly. It was the Glen Canyon Dam in Abbey's book, and it was TikTok. And there was a lot of water behind the dam. After Tuesday's explosion, there was a thick rope of black smoke rising up from the turbine house on the Arizona side, rather than a great big crack down the middle of the dam. The wild part, noticed as I was scrolling through the climate doom, is that a retired American living down in Mexico had posted and predicted, just after the Georgia guidestones were blown up by some Taliban cosplay gang on July 7, that Hoover Dam was next. I guess I'd never thought about the Georgia Guidestones and Hoover Dam as being peas in a pod, but it's hard to keep up with everything, which is why I generally don't bother. A little news goes a long way, especially when, like the retired guy in Mexico, I generally know what's coming. Not enough to profit from it, just enough to rarely be surprised. The Georgia Guidestones are something I only knew about from internet conspiracy forums. I'd never seen them myself. I did not care for the design, honestly. Inspired by Stonehenge, so they say, but they look like a water feature in an Atlanta mall circa 1980. Which makes sense, as they were erected in the year 1980 in rural Georgia's Elbert County. They were an explicit message to humanity, humanity of the future, for people who survived the tribulations thought to be imminent, nuclear war, societal collapse, catastrophic climate change, etc., In English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Arabic, traditional Chinese, Russian, Babylonian, classical Greek, Sanskrit, and Egyptian hieroglyphs, the Guidestones aim to instruct the survivors of our self-inflicted calamities in ways to do it better next time. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Unite humanity with a living new language. Rule passion, faith, and tradition with tempered reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts let all nations rule themselves resolving external disputes in a world court avoid petty laws and useless officials balance personal rights with social duties prize truth beauty love seeking harmony with the infinite be not a cancer on the earth leave room for nature leave room for nature Because of the curiously perverted tenor of our times, I bet you heard the problematic parts instead of noticing what you might agree with. Our brains are broken. Like Stonehenge, which inspired the creators of the Georgia Guidestones, if not the architecture itself, the monumental stones served as an astrological calendar, a compass, a clock, Maybe some advice for rebuilding a human society would be useful. The Guidestones creators figured. Then for three decades, the angry mobs mostly ignored this outdoor sculpture in a cow pasture. Locally, it was riling up the evangelicals since its construction and unveiling on the vernal equinox of the year 1980. Fundamentalist preachers on the rise in that era of the moral majority and Ronald Reagan saw echoes of the book of Revelation when they read the messages. Even if the book of Revelation is explicitly about the Roman Empire's persecution of the then-new cult of Christ. And the engraver of the stones, a local man named Charlie Clamp said he had been constantly distracted by, quote, strange music and disjointed voices, while he sandblasted the 4,000 characters into the granite slabs. By the time Wired Magazine did a feature story on the Guidestones in 2009, at least a few people were calling the messages the Ten Commandments of the Antichrist. painting Death to the New World Order on the granite sculpture by cover of darkness. Who did put up those stones anyway? I mean, we know the granite company and the stone cutters and all that, but who designed it? Who paid for it? Here's how that same Wired Magazine story describes the mystery and how it arrived in Elbert County, Georgia in the year 1979. An elegant, gray-haired gentleman wearing a very nice, expensive suit showed up in Elbert County, made his way to the offices of Elberton Granite Finishing, and introduced himself as R.C. Christian, who claimed to represent a small group of loyal Americans who had been planning the installation of an unusually large and complex stone monument. Christian had come to Alberton because he believed its quarries produced the finest granite on the planet. As later conspiracy theorists and curious historians have since pointed out, R.C. Christian, which the man readily admitted was a pseudonym, sounds more than a little like the pseudonym of the mysterious man who introduced the Illuminati to Europe in a trio of anonymously published tracts in the early 17th century. Christian Rosenkreutz, or Christian of the Rosy Cross, the first Rosicrucian. 601 years after the supposed birth of Christian Rosenkreutz in the year 1378, R.C. Christian walked in in the office of a Georgia stonemason. Let's go back to Randall Sullivan's article in Wired from a dozen years ago. Visitors kept coming, but after several failed investigations into the identity of R.C. Christian, the media lost interest. Curiosity flared again briefly in 1993 when Yoko Ono contributed a track called Georgia Stone to a tribute album for avant garde composer John Cage. With Ono chanting the 10th and final guide, nearly verbatim. Be not a cancer on earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. The messages on the Guidestones are pretty good advice overall. Live with, not against nature. Leave room for nature or watch out, buddy. We are all learning that this week, again, around the world... Even the simple-minded are starting to get the picture, which you can sort of parse out from the increasingly insane denials of the monstrous heat waves killing thousands around the world every day now in these crushing summers of the early 21st century. Avoid oppressive laws. Well, that seems relevant. Avoid petty politicians and officials. Sure, let's do that even the supposedly problematic advice about human populations make good sense. Fitness and diversity are pretty good goals, aren't they? Pay attention to the stars, the movements of the sun, that's how we tell time, dummies. Try to prevent another slow-burn apocalypse if you can. Well, this monument that was supposed to outlast the apocalypse was instead felled by a couple of rednecks in a compact car who planted a little bit of explosives around a couple of the guidestones and drove away. The usual blurry frame from a surveillance camera made the rounds. Immediately. Immediately because R.C. Christian deeded the land he bought to the county, so no permission was necessary. The county was out there with bulldozers and destroyed the rest of the monument just to be safe, just to keep the New World Order at bay, I suppose. It's something to think about. If you're involved in the creation of supposedly permanent megaliths as the Long Now Foundation has been doing, or if you're working on those monuments to warn future people to stay away from our nuclear waste dumps and the Nevada desert, Never mind the distant future, your real concern should be making the thing last through the wars of insanity which are here now and today. No point denying it. This is the time of the roundheads, attacking anything they can hit one way or another, ruin some random person's life on the internet, blow up some statues, bomb the Hoover Dam. Well, who knows what to believe? But the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation said the explosion and fire at the base of the dam was just an electrical transformer gone bad. And those things do tend to blow up under stress. Who knows? Who knows? Answers will not be forthcoming for anybody regarding anything. as Isaacs, and across the Great Mojave Wilderness and beyond. This is Desert Oracle Radio, broadcasting on Friday nights at 10 p.m. from Joshua Tree. And out over Yucca Valley, 29 Palms, Pipes Canyon, Gamma Gulch, Wonder Valley, Wherever you are in the Mojave High Desert on this summer evening, and if you're somewhere else, that's all right, too. Get the podcast wherever you do that, Desert Oracle Radio. Our paperback edition of Desert Oracle Volume 1 is out now from Picador Books. Thanks for keeping it on the Los Angeles Times bestsellers list all the way into July. And Thanks to our patrons for supporting this show, which you can do from our website, desertoracle.com. Red, blue, black, silver made the soundscapes you heard on this program. And our closing theme is by Pierre Langer. Please don't leave your pets or your annoying relatives in the hot car. And no matter how high you've lifted your truck, please don't try to cross a raging monsoon flash flood. And maybe wait until after dark to take your walk in this sort of weather and this sort of alignment. This is your host, Ken Lane, signing off good night from the Voice of the Desert.